If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 19. Grab your phone as well if you've got that with you. Turn there, flip there, what have you. There's also Bibles in the pew. If you did not bring that with you today, you're more than welcome to use that. Even take that with you if you don't own a Bible. But in Exodus chapter 19, today's message is entitled, Coming Down the Mountain. And there's going to be three different acts, if you will, of this coming down the mountain. And I'll highlight those throughout this passage. But I want to just kind of let you know where we're going a little bit here. So to understand the mountain experience here at Mount Sinai and the Lord giving of the Ten Commandments, we're going to walk through the Ten Commandments today. And as we're also navigating that, I'm going to help us understand the reasons for disobedience based on the passages we're going to read. And then also to understand that there's a blessing when we choose to walk in obedience with the Lord. And then the last point I'm going to make is just to understand that you and I, we have to take responsibility for our actions. Okay? Not shift them over to other people, but to realize that we have to own our decisions and the things that we do. And so before we get into the Scriptures, though, we believe this is God's Word. He speaks to us through His Word. So let's pray and ask the Lord to settle our hearts to receive from Him today. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank You for this worship together. Whether we're here in the building or there's folks tuning in with us online as we get in the Word together, coming together to hear Your voice. I pray, Lord, You'd speak into our hearts and lives. Father, I ask that You would use me to communicate your heartbeat, the things that you've pressed upon my heart to share, Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak through me today. And I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive. And we thank you for this time. I ask that you'd quiet this place, quiet the locations in which people are watching right now, Lord, and just settle our hearts on your word. And we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Exodus chapter 19 here, starting in verse 1. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. And after breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob, announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. You can see that special relationship that God is designing for His people, that they're His own special treasure, they're His own kingdom of priests, His own holy 
nation. And he says, this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returns from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything that the Lord had commanded. And all the people responded together, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And I I read that, I think, my goodness. Did they know what was going to happen? Let's just practice that. I'll say it. You can repeat it with me. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Now, how many of you just have that confidence that you're just going to nail that perfectly? The Lord then says to Moses, I'll come to you in a thick cloud so that the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. And then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And then the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. And be sure that they are ready on the third day. For on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Now jump with me to verse 16. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. And there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. And as the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain, so Moses then climbed the mountain. Now I want to stop here for a second and help us to understand Act 1 of this coming down the mountain, you see this theophany. A theophany would be a visible manifestation of God to humanity. He is showing His presence to these people on this mountain. You've got the thunder, the lightning, the consuming fire, the billowing smoke, all of these things happening. Could you imagine being present at the mountain at this day? Would there be fear and trembling for you? But it's in this setting here that God then gives the Ten Commandments or what's known as the Decalogue, and that's in Exodus 20, and you can turn there with me. Verse 1 says, God gave all the people these instructions. Verse 2, He says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now I'm going to walk us through here the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to read the rest of this chapter. I'm going to just give you the Ten Commandments, starting with the very first one. You shall have no other gods before Him. He is to have the rightful place as number one in your life. That is the rightful place for the Lord, for all of us. Now whether or not we put Him there, that's a different story but no other gods before me. And then the next one is very similar to that, is you shall not make idols. Now, we don't necessarily live in the day and age where we might go out, take a piece of wood, cut it, make a little idol out of it, and we've got them set up maybe at a 
particular location in our home. That seems a little bit odd, right? But the reality of it is, is an idol is anything that would take the place or the attention of God in your heart and in your life. So not only is God to be number one, but he says, but I don't want you to focus on all these things that would distract you from me. So let's just start the first two, put me in the rightful place in your life. Number one, no other gods before me, you shall not make idols. They came from a land called Egypt that would have been filled with all kinds of idolatry. And let me remind you, Israel, I've led you out of that and I'm to be your God. He also says you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Now you think about this in our day and age. This happens a lot. Whether people are using that as their cursing. Maybe you've heard these things before. But taking the Lord's name in vain, God does not desire those types of things. He doesn't just pass that over. He takes that very serious. And you think of ways that people maybe just use it in vain by saying, hey, I I swear to God, and then whatever they're about to say. You know, you think people say that all the time. Maybe when they're upset, right? I swear to... And then they've got something they're going to tell you. People using the Lord's name in vain. And then here's another one. It's done in, in, I'd say, not a worship setting where we come before the Lord in His presence and we go, oh my God. But people use that phrase just in everyday language. Something shocks them. And they'll say that. Like it's just an expression. We don't really even think about that. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. He's making that very clear. And then the next one, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Keep it set apart. God said, I created the earth and everything that we see in creation in six days, and then on the seventh day I rested. And then he even goes on to say later in Exodus that the Sabbath is to be observed from generation to generation for all time. God's designed a day for us to have rest, spiritual refreshment, mental refreshment, physical refreshment. God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The next one, honor your father and mother. We show our parents kindness and respect and support and we show them obedience. And this isn't just like, I can't wait till I'm 18 so I can get out of the house and no longer be under mom and dad's watch. Respect and honor of parents goes well into the years when maybe they get older in age and they need someone to care for them and watch out for them. You continue to honor your father and mother until they take their final breath. And you even honor their name after they pass away. Honor your father and mother. The next one, you shall not murder. The taking of innocent life. Any of that going on in our culture? Absolutely. Whether it's the unborn in a mother's womb all the way to the deathbed where you see people taking medication to basically commit suicide. And yet we seem to give a thumbs up to all of that in our culture. But Jesus went a step further with this. If you hate anybody in your heart, guess what? You're committing murder. Have you ever had hatred in your heart? 
That's a pretty heavy statement by Jesus. The next one, you shall not commit adultery. That is, you should not be unfaithful in your marriage. But Jesus takes that yet even a step further. It says if you even lust after somebody in your heart, you've committed adultery. And so you see these commands, these desires from God here in the Scriptures, and Jesus even laying that out further. How many of you are guilty of breaking any of these first seven? Number eight, you shall not steal. Even cheating is a form of stealing. And we're in that tax season. Let me just remind people about cheating and it being stealing. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus said that. Commandment number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't ever make a false or misleading statement about someone else's character or their actions, but to take that even further is do not lie. God is a God of truth, and anything outside of truth would be identifying with what the Scriptures say is the father of lies, and that is Satan himself. God says, I want people to be honest. And then lastly, number 10, you shall not covet. Desiring something that is not yours and wanting that, and you can see where that would be the root cause, to go out and steal, or to go out and commit adultery. Right? You, you, you see these things that you want for yourself, but they don't belong to you, and that covetousness is something that starts in your heart, and then you begin to play these out with actions. And God says you shall not covet. There should not be jealousy or greed. What's interesting with these Ten Commandments is the first four are very vertical in nature. They deal directly with our relationship with Him. And then five through ten deal with our horizontal relationships, our relationships with each other. And I just want to kind of bring you in on some understandings. If you can get this right, if you can go well in the vertical, things will go well in the horizontal. And yet you see in our culture people with a strained relationship with God, they take it out on the relationships with the people around them. This doesn't happen just in our culture. This can happen in the church. People are saved, and yet maybe something is straining in their relationship with the Lord, and then it ends up going into their relationships, maybe in their home, maybe in their workplace, what have you but recognize that relationship component. And what's interesting is, is sometimes people would look at the commandments or God's Word and they say, well, this is just a, a rule book and God's got all these rules and God just doesn't want people to have any kind of fun. He's just a big personality in the sky that sucks all the joy out of your life. That's what the enemy would want you to believe. You know, he tries to make sin look more enjoyable than actually pursuing the Lord. But here's the thing. God gives us his commands because it will go well for you in your life. He wants his children to live in that blessing and to understand that these are rules or guidelines for your benefit. Not because I don't want you to enjoy life. In fact, 
If you follow these things, you're going to enjoy life more than if you went off and you tasted everything from the world. And so these commandments are designed for a greater relationship with the Lord and a greater relationship with others. The commandments are given, and in verse 18, the Bible says, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, and they trembled with fear. I feel led to just stop there for a second and... One sad part of our culture is how casual we've gotten with God. I'll pick up on that in just a moment. But the people said to Moses, You speak to us and we listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we'll die. And then in verse 20, Moses says, Don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of Him will keep you from sinning. You want to know one of the main reasons why we are disobedient people? It's because we live in a sin-cursed world and you and I were fallen people who are capable of sinning. Okay, that's the baseline. But in this message, I'm going to walk through four things as far as why people seem to walk in disobedience. And starting with this first one, it's because they don't fear God. I mean, Moses flat out says, God's come to you in this way so that your fear will keep you from sinning. And yet when we check out from that, and we feel like we can do whatever we want because we're getting real casual with God, we then cozy up to disobedience and doing whatever we would want. Hebrews 12, 28-29 says that since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. We worship God with a holy respect, a fear, and awe. And by having our heart in that posture, we should want to do the right things that God would want us to do. Because we have that fear. Another reason for disobedience is that we seem to forget all the things that God has done for us. You know, in Exodus 19, he's telling the people, you saw what I did with the Egyptians. You saw that. You you walked on dry land when it was sea. You experienced that. Do you remember? I mean, it was just days ago. You should remember I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. And right before God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 2, again He says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt. He's just, again, reminding them, this is what I've done for you. I've set you free from slavery. John Maxwell tells us that before God gave the Ten Commandments, He took time to remind them of three vital truths. The first one is is that he loved them. You know, he's going to make them his own special people, but he also reminds them of the victories that he's won for them. This is what I've done for you. And he also reminds them of the future that he has planned for them. So before God demanded his people to keep his rules, he reminds them of that relationship and that blessing. 
That gave them all the incentive that they would need to follow through with their commitment. Has God done anything for you? Can you think of anything? Hold on to that. Let's go to Exodus 24. Going to verse 12 here. Moses is now going to ascend up Mount Sinai. Verse 12, the Bible says that the Lord tells Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I'll give you the tablets of stone on which I've inscribed the instructions and the commands so that you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Now Moses told the elders, Stay here and wait for us until we come back. Now Aaron and Hur, now you remember those two fellows last week helping raise up Moses' hands and that staff? Now they're being instructed to stay back with the people. In verse 14, Moses says, If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, you guys consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain, and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Meanwhile, back at the camp, some things are going on not so good. Why don't you jump with me to Exodus 32. Moses, again, he's up there 40 days, 40 nights, back at the camp, the people start getting disgruntled. Chapter 32 and verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, Come on, make us some gods who can lead us. It says, We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Like they're even recalling where they came from, and they're like, we need some gods who can lead us. We can look at that and laugh, but one of the other reasons for disobedience is that we can get impatient with God's timing. God's not moving fast enough for the things that we think should happen, and so therefore we take matters into our own hands. And here these people are coming to Aaron because in verse 1 it says, when the people saw how long it was taking, let's move on then. And so when we are waiting for the Lord, sometimes we have that desire to just get things rolling and so we take matters into our own hands and it ends up making the situation worse. Can you think of a time where that's been the case for even you? getting impatient with God's design or God's plan, and therefore it leads us to disobedience. But my next reason for disobedience is that we're not in tune with God's voice. They gather around Aaron, and then they are like, come on, Aaron. Okay, so I want to take a moment here and just talk about Aaron. Okay? In my midweek email, I talked about listening to the crowd versus listening to God's voice. Aaron has been instructed to lead these people, and then the people show up, and they're like, come on, let's, 
let's do something here. We need, we need some gods to lead us here because of evidently Moses is taking his sweet time. And so Aaron starts to listen more to the crowd and then begins the process of trying to give these people what they want. And while we're talking about Aaron, I want to also hold these people accountable for not hearing the Lord. Now, Moses is up on this mountain getting the stone tablets that have the commandments written, but I want to be very clear. I think from Scripture we know the people have already heard these commandments. And I pull that from Exodus 19, verse 9, when we read earlier, when the Lord told Moses, I'll come to you in a thick cloud so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. These people have heard the commandments. No other gods before me. Don't make any idols. They've heard that. But how many of you know there's a difference between hearing and listening? Any parents with me right now? There's a difference between hearing and listening. And these people, they were not tuned in. And I mentioned this in the midweek. I brought this boombox up here, an old-fashioned radio. But I want us to think about this. Anytime we're going down the road or we're trying to get something in tune, there are a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of things that are trying to speak into our lives. Some godly and some not. But we need to be in tune with what God's saying. And so, let me get us turned up here. That's a little bit distracting, isn't it? So, we seek the Lord's voice. I don't think that's the Lord's voice. Let's keep rolling. recognize what God's voice is. And so we dial in and we want to hear from the Lord. That sounds good. That's a little okay love But I understand that there are so many voices that we can tune into. Whether it's the crowd but are we truly listening? And when we tune in, we hear from the Lord. How many of you have ever been driving somewhere and a station that was Christian radio turns into something that's definitely not Christian radio? Okay. And so with that understanding, I want us to think when you're on the road and that comes out because you're getting further away from the signal, we have to find ourselves at a place where we can truly hear from the Lord. We've got to put ourselves in position to do that. We've got to be close to Him to hear His voice. And we're, when we're not in tune with God's voice, it leads to the things like we're going to see here in Exodus 32. So, they're asking Aaron, we want some gods here. Okay, We want to be able to worship something. So in verse 2, Aaron says, take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. 
Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Wow. I want to focus on something in verse 4. Notice who's the one who molded it into the shape of a calf. Aaron. Hold on to that. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he goes and builds an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. He even says how quickly they've turned away from the way I've which commanded. They've melted this golden calf, and they've bowed down, and they're sacrificing to it. God's very upset with this. Moses pleads for the people. God changes his mind from completely destroying them, but does send Moses down the mountain, and that's where we get this act two of coming down the mountain when Moses comes down to address this. And in verse 15, the Bible says that Moses turns, goes down the mountain, and he held in his hand the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back, and these tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, It sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, No, it's not a shout like war, or excuse me, not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. And when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. And he threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them, at the foot of the mountain. So now Moses is breaking the commandments too, literally. Verse 20, he took the calf that they had made and he ended up burning it and he ground it into powder, threw it into the water and forced the people to drink it. I feel like I need to stop there for a second too. Sin has a joy for a season, But then you find out when you're actually forced to drink the consequences of the sin, you realize you didn't want anything to do with that in the first place. Finally, Moses addresses Aaron and demands, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon you? Now, we could look at this and go, Aaron, are you serious right now? But we could do the same thing. But look what he says. He says, don't get upset, my Lord. You yourself, you know how evil these people are. Look him shift the blame. That's a very similar tactic to all the way back in the garden when sin first appeared. Right? And Adam and Eve, they've sinned against God, and God calls Adam into account, and Adam's like, this woman you gave me? Okay? Aaron's doing the same thing. <laughs> Moses, you know how evil these people are. Okay? Just give me a break here. And they said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses, 
who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever's got gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it in the fire, but then out came a calf. I mean, Moses, it was just like, it happened. And I'm sorry, but we already read the one who shaped that into a calf. Which leads me to a point here. If there's any errands that are listening, we have to take responsibility for our actions. We have to take responsibility for our sin issues. Quit the blame shifting, and we say, this is where I've gone wrong, and I need to do something right about this. So that leads to the next point. We've got to do something about it. So we take responsibility, but then we have to put these things into action. And Moses does that with the people. He says, if anybody's going to be on the Lord's side today, I want you to come over and I want you to stand right here next to me. And when it comes to taking responsibility for our sin issue, we have to make a decision. I'm going to walk away from sin and I'm going to stand over here where the Lord would want me to stand. And if you don't take responsibility, I want you to understand that God holds us responsible. He holds us accountable. Later in Exodus 32, God tells Moses, when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sin. If you don't want to take responsibility now, guess what? God will bring these things into account one day. So as we continue through this, in verse 25, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So what started as a decision by Aaron and to give in to the people has now created such chaos that even the enemies are amused by this. Can you see the connection in the spiritual realm and how Satan is amused when he throws a camp up into complete chaos. Moses stands at the entrance, says, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. So all the Levites gathered around him, and Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, each of you take your swords, go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other, and kill everyone, even your own family. And 3,000 people died that day. In verse 29, Moses tells the Levites, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord. I'm so glad my ordination did not include that. But he says you've obeyed him even though it meant killing your own sons and your brothers. Now this is kind of an odd thing to swallow because you're thinking God's having these people kill their own people because of disobedience. But I want us to gain the, the point of this where God says, today you have earned a blessing because of your obedience to me. So let's understand that there is great blessing in obedience. God says that in Exodus 19, in 20, 23. And here we see this, the blessing given to those who were being obedient to Him in Exodus 32. C.S. Lewis says that obedience is the key is the key to all doors. Obedience is the key to all doors. Don't think for a second that you can heed the wrong voice and then make the wrong choice and then escape the consequences that come from that. At the same time, 
Obedience leads to a waterfall of goodness, not just for you, but then also for generations to come that are a part of your family. God promises to show love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. And as we obey God's commands, we open the door to God's favor. So here's a question I want to ask all of us that are listening today. You think about these idols that these people had. You think about putting God in His rightful place as number one and then all the things of this world that can try to take our attention. And my question to you is this, where is your altar? Where is your altar? In Exodus 24, verse 4, Moses set up an altar at the foot of the mountain where God's presence was. And in Exodus 32, Aaron sees how exciting things are here, and he puts an altar at the foot of this golden calf. And wherever you put your altar is where you're going to spend the most time. It's what you're going to sacrifice to. Is that altar in the right spot? Is your heart in the right place? Lastly, I want to tell us the final act of coming down the mountain can be seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ comes from heaven to this earth, takes upon our sin so that we could be set free and be made right with God. If you've ever broken a commandment, you can be covered by the grace of Jesus Christ through the shed blood that He gave on the cross. And we see the Gospel in Exodus 32. As Moses goes up the mountain, he tells the people, you guys, you've committed a terrible sin here, but I'm going to go back up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps, perhaps I'll be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. Does that sound like someone that you might know named Jesus Christ? I'm going to go before God and pay the penalty and the price for sin that you can be set free. In verse 31, Moses returned to the Lord. He says, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They've made gods of gold for themselves, but now if you only would forgive their sin. But if not, he says, erase my name from the record that you've written. In other words, Moses is saying, Lord, if you need to take my life, do it. That sounds like Jesus to me. Jesus comes to this earth so that we could have forgiveness of sin, but it comes through the taking of His life. We see the Gospel. Christ came down the mountain, if you will, to be with us so that we could be made right with God. I don't know how the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you today, but understanding what Christ has done, I told you earlier, part of obedience is recognizing this is what God has done for me. And so I'm just going to live in response to that. He set me free from the destruction of sin. He set me free from an eternity in hell. He set me free from that, and He's given me a purpose and life. And so therefore, since He's given me that... All the things of this world that can't even come close to giving me what Christ has given me. I'm going to start to move away from that and move toward 
His direction. As we think of these things, where's our altar? Where are we giving our time and our attention? Is there any area of disobedience because perhaps you're lacking in fear of the Lord or perhaps you've forgotten what He's done for you or maybe you're getting impatient with God's timing or you're not in tune? Are there things that you need to lay before the Lord and have Him walk through with you? Understand there's a blessing in obedience. And understand that the start of living a life in obedience to God is to receive His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me as we pray right now. Heavenly Father, I thank You for these words. Lord, You desire obedience to be people who walk in tune with you. You love us so much. You want that relationship with us. You want us to thrive in that relationship. And so you've given us these commands that it would go well with us to, to heed your instruction and not look at them as something that weighs us down and keeps us from having the joy and the satisfaction in this journey of life. Help us to see the goodness in these commands to live for you. Help us to walk in obedience. And Lord, if there's someone right now that's listening, that they've not surrendered their life to you and realizing that they need Christ in their life to redeem them from sin. But today they're at a point where they want to receive you. They want that forgiveness of sin. They want that relationship that you give. You've paid for it, Lord. Now all they need to do is respond. And if there's someone that would desire to receive Christ right now, I invite you to pray with me to receive him. Just simply say in your heart, Jesus, today's the day. I surrender my life to you. Please make me a new person. I realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And you paid the penalty and the price for my sin so that I could be set free. Today I ask for forgiveness and that you would come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Today I receive you by grace through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help me to live for you, to stand with you and for you from this day forward. In this moment, with every head bowed and eye closed, if there is someone that just prayed with me to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just simply acknowledge that with me by lifting up your hand and then placing it right back down, just for a moment. Thank you. Anyone else, just acknowledge that. Saying, today I prayed that prayer, Russ. Prayed that with you to receive Christ. Father, I thank you for a new life in Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray that for those that prayed to receive you, you would make that decision incredibly real. Your word says that you put a new spirit in us 
one that's inclined toward your commands. And there'll be that struggle between the things that we want to do and the things that your Spirit wants to help us to walk in the Spirit of God. We thank you for this time of worship in your word. We lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.